So I schlep over to my mother's and she's already fetching that I never visit my Bubby and Zeta. I went to my mother's and she was already complaining that I don't visit my grandmother and grandfather. The chutzpah she's got. Everyone knows you're a mensch who makes sure everyone has a nosh in her home. The nerve of her. You're knowing to be a good person who always makes sure people eat in her home. It's Meshuggana. Anyway, I got schmutz all over me from schlepping mulch for a yard. She's verklempt at the side of her soon-to-be garden. It's crazy. Anyway, I got dirt all over me from carrying mulch to her yard. Then she was overcome with emotion at the sight of her soon-to-be garden. I'm sure she's failing to all her friends, when they aren't kibitzing, that is. All right, well, I'll see you at shul. I'm sure she's expressing pride to all of her friends when they aren't gossiping this. All right, well, I'll see you in the synagogue. But then, you know that Schwanz kid down the street, the schnorr? He comes around with his shmegega and says that my bubby's a nakfa. As it transpires, it was at this moment that the jerk from down the street, who is always borrowing money from people with no clear intentions to pay back, comes around with more than the usual amount of swagger and calls my grandmother a whore. Oi, they, the kid's such a gniff. This story has me about to plot. Oh my, the ruffian doesn't strike me as one particularly trustworthy. This story has put me on the very edge of a heart attack episode. So I'm all for tumult about it. The Shlemiel obviously wants a clomping in the kishka, but when I look, I can see there's something fakakta about him. I'm extremely confused. This foolish boy is clearly wishing to be struck in the stomach, but upon examination, something is clearly wrong with him. Ah, uh, come on, stop it with the spielkis. What happened? This story is most distressing, and I wish to hear the resolution post-haste. The chutzpah of the schmendrick, right? So I'm about to handle the schmuck, and he goes a grips that lasts for like an entire minute. Apparently it was given all the tsuris, and now we're all mishpocha again. The nerve of this shady character. As I'm about to administrate justice onto this silly person, he belches from an extended period. It was apparently causing him great pain. Hence, his behavior is now back to everyone's good grace. Sounds like a real broigus you avoided there. Oigathes. This has the potential to descend into vertible blood feud, but fortunately not. Go figure. Welcome to Off the Film Path. Here we review and discuss movies that, for better or for worse, are less known to the general public. Today we are discussing 2003's The Hebrew Hammer. I'm Kyle. And I'm Sophia. And we have a guest with us today. Hello, I'm Brad. Hello, Brad. Hi, Brad. Great to have you on the show. I'm very happy to be here and very excited to talk about this movie. Now, Brad, as I'm sure you know, whenever we have a new guest on, I ask, do you have any qualifications to talk about movies? I barely do. Sophia has a bit more, so you don't really need anything. But just curious. I'm an average movie watcher. I like to think that I've diversed myself in enough movies to be able to communicate about them. Yes. <laughs> All right. So I I do want to start off just by saying that, like, from a structuralist perspective, like analyzing this movie is going to be tricky because. It has the flavor of satire, but it's not satire at all. At all. So 
it falls in this weird category where it doesn't quite meet the real definition of any other form of comedy, but it doesn't meet the definition of satire. It's really just a long and complex series of knock-knock jokes in Yiddish. (laughs) I'd like to say that if you found that intro dense and unbreachable, this movie might not be for you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm just going to go ahead and cop to having had to look up some of those words. Yeah, this was definitely made for a Jewish audience, and uh, we figured we'd start off the episode in a way that really prepped you for that. Little treat for the yids. But don't worry, the rest won't have translation. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll desperately need it at certain points. True. Do we have anything else to, to say about this before we jump into the synopsis? No, I think we just go. <laughs> All right, let's do this thing. Synopsis time, baby. So we start with title card, Hanukkah Past. Okay, and we go straight up Tim Burton's Batman with this opening shot of like, the most horrified looking Jesus I've ever seen in my life. Looking down on this Hasidic kid. Who's going to a Catholic school. I don't get it. I mean, his mother hates him. I actually didn't even realize that was a Catholic school, but that makes way too much sense. Well, I mean, Brad, when was the last time you saw a big crucifix on the outside of a synagogue? That's the, yeah, never. (laughs) It was also called like Our Lady of something or other. And it's like, that's a Catholic school. Our Lady of Perpetual. Okay. I've told you before that I, before I got my current place, I was living in New Jersey. Yeah. I would walk from the place I was living to the train station. And along the way, there was a Catholic church literally called Our Lady of Sorrows. And apparently that's where everybody sends their kids. And I'm just like, are the Goyim okay? No. But there's an old saying that if you want to make sure your kids don't grow up Catholic, send them to Catholic school. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I I could not get over already from the beginning how this passive-aggressive religious war insulting teacher <laughs> attacks our protagonist. Right before that, though, he walks in and kids are, like, mean to him. Active-aggressive. In very anti-Semitic ways. And then, like... One girl was like, oh, you guys are going to burn in hell. And then all the other kids were like, geez, too far. <laughs> yeah, like, no, 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 no. The bagel jokes and throwing a penny on the ground, those were fine. But the hell thing? Bridge too far. I need to pause real quick. This movie brings up a lot of stereotypes, and I don't super want to do that in this episode. But we might have to. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have to talk about some... Common Jewish stereotypes. So so if we were doing a movie like Shaft or or I can't remember what the what like there was a there was a movie that was kind of like making fun of Shaft, but you know, from a black perspective, and I can't remember the name of it. Was it Black Dynamite? Yes. So if we were talking about like or if oh I, we were not talking we're not ever talking about Black Dynamite. That is out of our lane. We're not doing it. But like if one were to discuss that, one would have to grapple with those stereotypes used as an in-joke. And so for our Goyish audience, this movie will make exactly zero sense without the in-group context. For our Goyish audience, none of these things are okay to say to a Jew. And if you do it, I will find you and go Hebrew hammer on you. That's the name of the movie. (laughs) That's the name of the movie. (laughs) We got there. All right, shut it down. But yes, we will need to discuss 
some some ugly stereotypes of Jewish people, just so this movie makes sense. But yes, this teacher is like any... I know it's not a public school, but this very much felt like public school trying to be like... It said public school. Yeah, that's why I didn't get the idea that it was uh, oh, a Catholic what? school. Yeah, it, it says, says public, public school. school. Yeah. So the joke here is that... Oh, that uh, makes sense. America is such a, a Christian normative place that going to a public school as a Jew is the equivalent of going to a Catholic school, which they're not wrong. Yeah, I think when I back when I was in even I can't remember middle school and elementary as much, but I remember in high school that like we could count on our hands the amount of Jewish students that we knew. And we had a, a school of what, 600 to 2100, like an enormous number of people with only a handful of Jews on count. I graduated in a class of 2000 people. There were no Jews that I'm aware of, two Muslims and a Buddhist. I will say, though, so the teacher wishes our main character, Mordecai. Mordecai. <laughs> Mordecai, thank you. Yep. A happy Chinooka Day 7, which is very funny, <laughs> such that <laughs> I have a friend who will wish me a happy Hanukkah by saying Chinooka Day, whatever, because he knows I love this movie. So if you've gone to the trouble of saying Mordecai correctly, why is Hanukkah Hard. Just bear that in mind going forward. Nobody pronounces it correctly. Like no. I think I think Hanukkah is pronounced correctly like twice. And the spellings are all over the place. A fight that we just do not have time to get into. You want to hear a good joke I've heard regarding that? Oh boy. Go for it. How do you spell Hanukkah? Using another alphabet. <laughs> oh yes. my god. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> mm. Yes. Amazing. Anyway, the kid's having a shitty day. Because he leaves school, the shops are, like, turning him away because he's Jewish. Yeah, they literally, like, pull down no yeah. Jews signs. Yeah. He ends up spinning a dreidel, and he's like, I'm happy for a moment. And then Santa smashes it and flicks him off in his face, <laughs> yelling a ho, ho, ho. And then we get the Jewish Shaft theme song. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's hot. It's a banger. So we we skip forward. Quite a few years. I wanted to wanted to add real quick the dreidel that they that he was playing with. I think a lot of us can remember it was like a little blue plastic one that I think was in everyone's home and or synagogue. I just remember it being there, and I had such a flashback of like seeing this, and then saw Santa just like crushing it and flipping (laughs) off the kid, and I was like. All right, Christmas is dead to me if it wasn't before, but let's go. Let's start this movie. <laughs> and if I remember right, you can take off the top of the dreidel Correct. and put Gelt inside. Yeah. See, you got you remember it. I know. I know, you I know exactly. <laughs> so it hurt it hurt extra hard by seeing this absolute dick Santa just <laughs> destroy this dreidel. <laughs> like, okay, I have to say this. Like two seconds before the dreidel scene. Like, he's getting turned away from these stops that are all like, no Jews, no Jews, no Jews. And one guy, like, calls from him across the street and pulls down a sign that says, Jews okay, for like five minutes. (laughs) I love that one. I was like, "Eh, all right, five minutes. (laughs) Also, as a kid, he had a Sandy Koufax lunchbox, because of course. Yeah. Anyway, present day. This dude is now the coolest cat. And this is clearly, like, the late 70s. This dude is i mean he's straight up a jewish pimp 
He's got the long feather in his fedora, the whole nine yards. And he is so fucking cool. He has an action figure of himself, which just, I love it. We love to see a king moving up. Yes, as both the song reference and a subway sign reference, he is in the hood. (laughs) I was like, I want to live in the hood. The hood. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's a neighborhood in Brooklyn. Probably. You see him just like helping out the community, being a very good person. He's a mensch. He's a mensch. He's a mensch. And so, as with all of the moderately handsome menches in Brooklyn, a random booby hangs out the window is like, hey, when are you going to marry a nice Jewish girl? You should come up and eat. Here's my daughter. She's she's single. And like the daughter comes to the window and, and has some things about her that stereotypically are not considered attractive traits. Yeah, we'll move past it. Really cool about I was, really cool <laughs> was going to say, are you, you going to mention them or are we just going leave to it, leave it to the imagination? No, we don't yeah. need to. I mean, she's got zits and braces and like, that's not great, but like zits and braces are typically things that will go away in time. And like underneath that, I don't think she was like that unattractive, but like this is clearly a turnoff for, for the hammer who probably does the classiest no thank you in history. It's just like, no, no, no. Sorry. I think, I think the G dash D is, is going to be all the, all the companion I need right now. I can dig it. I can dig it. <laughs> this movie is fucking amazing. Yeah. Uh, he stops some bullies from bothering this kid, Shlomo. Uh, mm-hmm. He says, hey, be prideful that you're Jewish. It's a good thing. And as he's leaving, he says, and remember, stay Jewish, which is like every adult to any Jewish child. Yeah. Very much. Very much. Yeah. Which, you know what? Let's put a pin in that one because we're coming back to it. Because I've changed my my Twitter screen name, apropos of nothing, I'm sure, to uh, <laughs> Zippy's absolutely feral Hanukkah arc. Love that. We'll come back to it. And then the scene ends with him walking into his office, where he is clearly a private investigator. It wasn't clear to me at first. Because what's on his door is a certified circumcised dick. Kids... For those of you who are not into retro movies, dick is a word that used to mean private investigator or private detective. Yeah, it definitely had the like noir feel, so I kind of keyed into that. Also, I've seen this movie a bunch of times. Yeah, this is the only Hanukkah movie that matters. You know, in just a few scenes later, it, it straight up transitions into a noir. Exactly. It does. And like, it's without wild. any assumption or pre-set up it's just noir <laughs> we then go to the north pole where santa is saying how much he has fixed the interfaith relations between communities and how his dad was a huge prick i think the idea is that his dad was the one who stepped on mordecai's mordecai's yeah it's dreidel. i refer to him as santa santa the second and santa the third yeah so he's saying like, hey, we did, we've been making strides in being more inclusive, but it turns out my son's a huge piece of shit. And his son is played by Andy Dick. And yeah, his name is Damien. It's such a good joke. I know. It's so good. And so Andy Dick is just this really 
he's the master of the subtle communicate. He, he's the master of subtle communication. So like he does this like this like really like casual gesture like so so Santos like so what do you have to say for yourself, Damien? And he like slams a drink. It's like ah fuck it, ho ho ho, and then makes this really subtle gesture, and that's like the go phrase for this coup. So fucking machetes sprout from these reindeer's head and they just go ham they go completely julius caesar on santa santa's dead long live santa yeah also to real quick explain the joke just in case you're not up to date on your very old movies damien son of santa is a reference to the omen damien son of satan oh no it's damien oh is it yeah it's straight up damien Okay, I thought it was, it's spelled different. That's why I thought it was pronounced different. Yeah. I thought. No, Damien, son of Satan is, is the, uh, is the thing. So Damien, son of Santa is just moi. Amazing. So Andy Dick assumes the role of Santa, starts yelling at the elves, and every single time he can, he puts so much emphasis on every <sighs> sound he can. It's awesome. <laughs> His tongue never fails to pass in front of his teeth doing it so it's always hanukkah which like okay the the viewing audience can't see that but it looks very much like if you had swallowed a fly and you were trying desperately to cough it back up yeah he's like gagging on (laughs) yeah yeah very very extra for every amount of time he says it like without any withheld energy just (laughs) also Technically incorrect, depending on, you know, the style of pronunciation you want to use. Like, if you go with the Mizrahi pronunciation, like they, you know, frequently do in Israel, like, the the chet sound is more of an aspirated H instead of, like, a full-on It's more of a Now we get to, what was this called? It's the JJL, but is it the, the Jewish, Jewish Justice, Justice, Justice League? Justice League. Beautiful. <sighs> oh, my God. Okay, so <laughs> if you're thinking of Justice League like Superman, Batman, those fucking dorks, you're in the wrong place. And in order to really understand this joke, it's necessary to know that the Jewish community in aggregate is aging. Yeah. Which is a, a lot of old guys. So it's like it's this boardroom sort of thing. Not quite a boardroom, more like a courtroom. Yeah. And there's all all these different departments. They have a joke about how there's no Jewish athletes. Uh. Yeah, it's not even accurate, but whatever. We literally, in the scene before, had the fucking kid with Sandy Koufax on a lunchbox. Whatever. It's, it's the matter. one. Whatever. They say that they need to create some goodwill so the, the Jews in charge of media uh, oh, need to make some more Adam Sandler movies. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not creating any goodwill, homies. <laughs> <laughs> no, no and okay so there's also the not the it wasn't the anti-defamation league denigration so anti-denigration league representative is largely just complaints which that's a joke about the adl <laughs> they're a watchdog group they don't have any actual teeth aside from going hey just so you know this guy's a virulent anti-semite and maybe you shouldn't have him on fucking cnn but they're also one of the more well-respected. That's groups. true. So they're trying to come up with who's going to deal with this Santa situation. And they're naming a bunch of Jewish men. I straight up cannot believe they name dropped Henry Kissinger. I'll like 
I was about to fucking kill them. <laughs> yeah. No, this is there's so much about this that like they were like, Steven Spielberg, no, what? No. Henry Kissinger, you need somebody who can get the job done. Henry Kissinger can barely get the breathing done. How the fuck is he still doesn't matter. One thing that really like threw me off for the whole scene and for most of the remaining scenes involving the JJL was the the fact that the like lead representative had this eye patch and I just I couldn't get over why for any reason they chose in the casting to be like let's give him an eye patch. I think it will cater better to the story and I was like I don't understand. I don't understand in any way why this exists. Yeah. I think I have something. I think that's meant to like harken back to a media piece that they were quote unquote parodying. Okay. Okay. Works for me. It's kind of like the Nick Fury, honestly. So like that might be. Yeah, okay, so maybe it, it really is like a superhero play as well. Yeah, also, the, did you notice the building is just like the Pentagon but in a Jewish star? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, there are so many there are so many Megan David in this just just everywhere in this fucking movie. Anyway, the chief is very fun about shutting down all these stupid suggestions. While stuffing his face. And we get a dramatic scene where his daughter enters. <laughs> <laughs> his daughter is an entire smoke show. This is Judy Greer, by the way. Oh, yeah. So Judy Greer makes her entrance very dramatic and says, what about the Hebrew hammer? Like it's Mordechai something carver. Mordecai Jefferson Carver. There it is. Mordecai Jefferson Carver. And they're like, the Hebrew hammer? Absolutely not. He left this organization because of the thing with the Hare Krishnas. And this is never elaborated on. No. He was too radical for us. And I'm like, anyone would be too radical for you. Yeah, but like, you're a bunch of old dudes. And then I go like, oh, oh, that's the joke. (laughs) Anyway. So they're like, how are you going to convince him? And she's like, I have my ways. And that's like, oh shit, she's showing me. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. Uh, 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 too much fun. Anyway, super hot. And like, okay. Yeah. Like it would be, mm-hmm. this is the chief's daughter, which makes that display weird. Very weird. Moving on. Yeah. Now we get the noir scene. Brad, you want to talk about that one? Oh my god. So the the introductory, it literally if you guys have ever seen any noir films or old like televisions, I think from the 70s, right? Like noir was big in the 70s. Noir was I think it was uh, like through the popular, 80s, but... but it was mostly made in like the 30s and 40s, wasn't it? Yeah, it's an early uh, so genre. it's probably a bit older. Yeah. But it cuts back to Mordecai leaning back at his desk. The entire scene has become a black and white like transition down and now we have judy greed's character like coming to the door trying to recruit morty to join this hunt to solve the problem and he's just like i got i can't i got so much work to do and it just cuts over to this bin of no folders no information whatsoever and she's like i can see it's very important (laughs) it's like it's all in the computer now At no point in this entire, there there are a lot of anachronisms regarding technology in this movie. I think the most modern piece of technology 
that appears in this film, aside from like the atomic clock thing, but we'll get there. We don't, we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. Is a big screen TV that is clearly like, it's not a plasma TV. It was 2003, but like, yeah, there's a lot of good gags in here, but I don't want to like get too bogged down in the jokes. Yeah. Don't want to tell the entire movie. Yeah. Yeah. But he says, listen, it's almost Shabbat. So if you want to keep talking, you're going to have to come to Shabbat with me. And she is like, I am doing this. And that means that I'm going to have to go to Shabbat with you. A man who I walked in while you were listening to your sex tape. Yeah. (laughs) That was one of the gags is that the narration turned out to be a recording. Yeah. That was a good one. We get to his mom and I was like, oh, hey, is this my mom? Is this Brad's mom? (laughs) Not my mom. I'll tell you that much. She's very affectionate, hugging very closely. Like any any time for that you can think of stereotype for like a happy Jewish mother to her child, like it's here. It's all in this scene. <laughs> yes, including the the backhanded, very performative happiness. She's like using it as a way to chastise you for something. Oh my god. Yep. I think he, he does bring a bottle of Manashevitz as upon request. Because for every Shabbat and every gifted event you have to bring a bottle of manischewitz if you hate the person (laughs) (laughs) so for the goyim manischewitz is a kind of a staple in jewish consumables like i have a box of manischewitz uh shabbat candles and the last box of matzah i bought was manischewitz branded but historically, like the thing that they're known in the community for, notorious in the community for, is extremely bad wine that is typically used by synagogues for Shabbat services. For those who know wine, it's Concord grape, which is just bad. <laughs> Not a good wine. <laughs> Great juice, bad wine. They apparently have just like this insanely long dinner, which can be accurate. I've been to like some very long Shabbat dinners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're like seven course meals in. She's like, all right, I've got the entrees. Let's get going. <laughs> so according to the more observant end of things, you're supposed to stay at the table till the candles burn out and standard Shabbat candles burn for three hours. Yeah. That's a long ass dinner, guys. It's a it long is. dinner. Well, this makes it seem like they're there for six hours, I think. Something like it feels like a lot. Like you, you get the sense that it's longer than that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, his mom tries to wingman for him, which is very funny. You didn't care for it, Sophia. Apparently, down, down to a point that it's it, it doesn't even come down to it. It comes down to a deal that they make between each other, <laughs> which is very awkward and weird. It definitely even threw a like. You can see like how Judy Greed or as as there was is it as there. Esther, yeah. Esther. Yeah, just like, she like, it's just kind of doing that, like, I came to this person's house and I'm just going to be polite and shake my head until I get to leave because this is very awkward. But sure, let's keep going with this. (laughs) Mordechai's mother stipulates that part of the deal that Judy Greer is binding herself to is the occasional blowjob, which, like me, makes her choke on her food. (laughs) But she eventually agrees. So so that's what I mean. Like, I don't think she actually agrees to it, but she's just like, I'm just going to say whatever I need to do to get out of this situation and get what I need out of this. She because needs to save Hanukkah. 
yeah, I need to save Hanukkah and I don't have time to like tell this lady you're crazy. <laughs> anyway, the mom instigates this argument that very clearly they've had before because Mordecai can quote what she's about to say back to her. Including the examples of better children that she uses. Oh my goodness. I know, right? (laughs) So she's like trying to compare herself to her friends and her son to her friend's sons. And she's like, her friend got a house in, she retired in Boca. I'm like, you clearly live in like New York City. Why the fuck would you ever want to go to Boca? All right. Well, I can answer this one. You'll realize this once you get to the other side of 30, but it gets cold in New York. Um, (laughs) Okay, okay. It doesn't get cold in Boca, and the cold hits differently on the other side of 30. Okay. Anyway, they have a weird thing with a cat. I don't want to go into this, but like, it's very gross. No, no, no. (laughs) Very gross. I don't know why they fucking included it. Because they wanted to make the point that Jews don't believe in euthanasia, which is not true. Maybe the Hasidim don't, but, like... Oh, that's what that joke... Okay, whatever. I mean, that makes more sense, but also terrible. Terrible scene. (laughs) Terrible scene. Like, it's pointing out the the insanity of of the Hasidic view on euthanasia. Which I don't even know if that's the Hasidic view, to be honest with you. Also, cat owners are just like that. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, moving on. So Hammer goes to the JJL headquarters and he has to go through a series of tests that is just a bunch of stereotypes. I'm, I I, I, I want to just touch on it for a second. I would not be able to pass this security test. Neither would I. Not even close. Nope. <laughs> so it is like, it is so deep in the level of like the Jewish joke they're making of like things you would need to know that like anyone who is, I guess, reformed or to like the modern day of practicing Judaism, like, you would not get in. <laughs> I mean, I'm not bad at violin, but no, I... that's the hard one. Yeah, that, that's the hard one. So, yeah, that was one of the tests. Display musical aptitude. And he plays the fucking Fiddler theme. Have a Nagila? Oh, that's what it was, not Fiddler. Apologies. <laughs> There's a whole thing about complaining, and I do want to take a second to talk about this, because <laughs> it's very interesting. Is crucial to this podcast. Yes, we talked about fetching in our intro, which is, it is complaining, but very importantly, fetching is a part of Judaism where you complain in a performative and entertaining manner. It, yeah, it has to be fun complaining. And it's more like, you wouldn't complain like, my life sucks. You'd complain like, this fucking person at the deli was acting stupid. Like... That's the kind of complaining that fetching is. It's fun. It's camaraderie. It's like off-brand gossip. <laughs> yeah. I don't have anything to add to that, really. You guys nailed it. <laughs> In this scene, I noted this continues throughout, though. The hammer smokes like an Israeli. <laughs> <laughs> Little context there. Brad and I went on a trip called Birthright, which is an organization that pays for Jewish people to go to Israel. There's a lot of politics behind it that we are not getting into. But when we went, we had a group of Israelis that joined us for the whole trip, which is not every trip that does that. And they put together a thing where they led the activity. 
And one was supposed to be how much of a, this peanut butter puff snack you can fit in your mouth. So they open it by saying, what's an Israeli's favorite snack? And another one of the Israelis goes, cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, delightful. I just, I just happen to like, I get that because I happen to know a lot of Israelis. <laughs> and every last one of them smokes like a goddamn chimney. Yeah. Amazing. We meet Sammy Davis Jr. Jr. Great joke. Doesn't come back, but it's great one-off. Yep. I think we see this character like one more time, but no lines. Yes. This is the call to action, kind of. Yeah. So we're told that this Meshuggah new Santa has to be stopped. So he's off to go, I don't know, deal with this new Santa problem. Yeah, they never elaborate on what he's going to have to do in any way. They're just like, we need to stop him. And now it's your job to do it. Yeah. And I also know the be- the best thing I love, how real he gets kind of in the moment of leaving, where he just like stops and he's just like, you know, you're putting all this pressure on me. He's trying to save Hanukkah. I need to save Hanukkah. And you all want me to do this. I'm going to do my best. You know, I'm only human. I got to do this. <laughs> Just fantastic. And this this is a joke that comes up again. But it yeah, it, I think it's this is pointing out kind of a structural thing with movies. Like there's always like the stakes of like the fate of the world, you know, rests on your shoulders. And like, don't say that to a person, even if it's true. They don't need that yeah. kind of added pressure. <laughs> He's like, that's a lot of pressure on me. You know, that's a lot to handle in my head. I can't handle that. So can, can we tone it down just a bit? I know what I got to do, but we got to tone it down. His next move is to talk with his friends at the Kwanzaa Liberation Front. KLF, baby. All yeah. right. So, <laughs> ah, all right. All right. So this is where the Shaft jokes become almost painfully transparent. Yeah. One one that stuck out was, uh, and I'm not going to say them, but the mutual language of ethnicity between them using the N-word and the Jewish K-word with each other. Yeah. Like, like out of mutual. And they literally explained me like, you guys just said that thing. And they were like, yeah, we can, you can't. And that doesn't actually work the same way in Jewish culture at all. Uh, it's just kind of frowned upon in general. I've never met another Jew that uses the K-word as a greeting lingo. Not at all. Not even close. But nope. I mean, in this. The same as the joke. In this podcast, in this episode, we've used a couple of alternatives to that. I have used the word heeb, yid, and a couple of other things. But the Kessler is verboten forever. Yes. <laughs> it's it's very clearly this hideout is meant to echo like the Black Panthers. Am I wrong? It, it's meant to echo white people's fears about the Black Panthers. Okay. So when he comes in, everybody jumps up and is immediately pointing guns at him and like an absurd number of guns, like an an astounding, unrealistic number of guns. Yeah, it's like they took for every point, uh, they just took the audio track of a gun getting loaded and cogged and they just like repeated it a hundred thousand times <laughs> in the audio tracks. You hear the effect is exhausting. <laughs> So yeah, so he asks this, okay, hang on, I'm going to try to get this right. Muhammad Ali Paula Abdul Kareem Jabbar, is that the guy's name? I don't think the last part is Kareem Jabbar, I think it's like Rahim. Okay. 
something. But yeah, it's Muhammad Ali, Paula Abdul something. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Muhammad Ali, Paul Abdul Rahim. Rahim. Okay. So we're just gonna call him Rahim. I'm not doing the whole thing. This is ridiculous. So yeah. So he's asking, you know, Rahim, like, hey, so you heard about this new guy in the North Pole, and it's like, yeah, yeah, he's been messing up Kwanzaa, or he's he's been, you know, he's kind of a threat to Kwanzaa, but like. He's coming for Hanukkah first. It's so like, all right, well, do you have any information? It's like, as a matter of fact, I do. And takes him into a back room where one of Santa's elves has defected to the KDL and is getting blazed with groupies, I guess is probably the best way to put it. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is Tony Cox's character is Jamal. <laughs> okay. Tony Cox is amazing and just a treasure <laughs> to cinema. Yeah. I'm going to get back to this. But this is, like, lays the groundwork for the importance of, like, Jewish and black solidarity. Yes. And, by the way, if you think that there's nothing there, you're wrong. Anyway, Jamal gives a clue because he stole a matchbook for a bar called Duke's. And just upon watching it this time, I realized that, hey, Duke's might be a reference to David David Duke. Duke, Although David Duke is not a neo-nazi the difference for a jewish person or a black person is academic negligible yeah so he goes to this duke's place and it is a neo-nazi bar and when i say neo-nazi i don't mean like the winking neo-nazism of like richard spencer i mean they got a fucking third reich flag hanging oh they got swastikas everywhere yeah there there is there is not a single dude who is unbeswastikaed yeah, but I do like it. It's crazy how many tropes this movie actually like throws into its like underlining. Like this entire scene turns into a Western as a cowboy. Yeah. And now we've had we've had like slapstick comedy that remains throughout the whole movie. You have noir that's been shown through. And now at this point, you have a Western story with as a sheriff walking into a dangerous situation. The balls on the Hebrew hammer are the size of Saturn. <laughs> it's amazing, and I'm here for it. So, yeah, it, it's a it's a bog standard saloon brawl, except the Hebrew hammer has shotguns. Yep. At one point, he uses the phrase "fistful of shekels." And I'm like, that'd be such a good name for like a production company. <laughs> oh God. Okay. So to be clear, shekels are or, or, or using the term shekels outside of the new Israeli shekel as a currency is a subtle anti-Semitic trope. It's kind of pointing to the, the happy merchant, you know, and winking and being like, ha 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 money. Jewish money is called shekels. Yeah. So it's a subtle nod to that. I think that, but he also said, I just got back from Israel. It's true. Not, not important, but it's meant to, the phrase fistful of shekels is clearly meant to be fistful of dollars, which is a Sergio Leone movie, I think. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. And it's a, mm. it's a Western, right? Yes. Yeah. There you wow. go. On on point. Yes. That's the first of the Unnamed Man trilogy that the third is the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm-hmm. So there is another moment of Jewish and black solidarity as he comes out. Like he's the last person out of the bar and and he's the only one not bleeding. And this, this older black man is walking down the street, like puffing a joint that's clearly for his glaucoma. And, and <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and it's like, 
damn brother you, you're taking it down he's like yeah they, they bled your they bled your father they bled your mother they won't bleed you he's like that's right and you know they fist bump and he just carries on and was like that's real sweet i like it anyway he yeah. burns a mug and david into, <laughs> into the patch of grass out front and then walks so off fucking baller <laughs> i know i know we got back to santa's workshop turns out jamal was a double agent fucking jamal for yeah but for no reason because santa's like we're not gonna have any i'm not saying how he says it black no black midgets yes really blunt this is this is a perfect example this movie could not be made today (laughs) in any way oh it could be it fits under that honestly it shouldn't have been made in 2003 like there's a reason this is a very difficult movie to find (laughs) it's on tubi apparently (laughs) the fuck is Tubi? we've talked about this yeah. Not getting into it. Anyway, so of course Santa's a capitalist. I'll try go on strike and he goes, I'm replacing all of you with children. Yes. Taiwanese children? Yep. Yes. And there's a Indiana Jones reference. Ah, oh, God. Yeah. There was. One of the one of the kids goes, Okie dokie, Dr. Jones, as he's walking out <laughs> on strike and and Damien throws something at him. He's like, I'm not Dr. Jones. It's, it's he's so line. bizarre, but he's he does the character so well. I mean, it couldn't possibly be anybody but Andy Dick, right? So then he like reveals another part of his plan that now involves Tiny Tim, who's like a grown man, <laughs> grown ass <laughs> man, fake Cockney accent, and it's not a good one either. Like it's it's the kind of Cockney accent that I would do. Like I have a very poor Cockney accent, and this is that. So- <laughs> Yeah. The plan is to sap the children of the Jewish community of their Jewish pride by showing them a movie that will fill them with Christmas pride, which is bootlegs <laughs> of Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. Because I've watched this movie so much, I will not watch It's a Wonderful Life. It's amazing. I am currently vibrating with rage. <laughs> I, I love when he's trying to explain the plot to him. And Tiny Tim just keeps interrupting him to cut him off constantly. And my only first thought came to me of like, but God, good henchmen are just hard to find these days, aren't they? Really? (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, like, you also have to be able to get rid of bad henchmen. Mm -hmm. They also explain what a Cockney accent is, kind of, or at least what its purpose is in cinema. And I was like, I like that. Yeah, so, listeners, in case you didn't know... A Cockney accent is a way that you can portray. It, it's kind of an exotic thing. So it's like, it's not an accent that exists here in the US. So by having it, it's automatically exotic. But the stigma that it has in the United Kingdom, and it's kind of filtered over here, is that it's also a poor people's accent, which is not entirely unfounded, but it's also not entirely accurate. And it's also meant to be like a little dangerous. Yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah. You got it. So dangerous poor people. Right. And then we get this crazy montage of Tiny Tim distributing these VHSs. And the camera work in it is very different than everything else in that it's like kind of blurry, lower quality. And it's like it really sells what they're trying to do, I think. Have you seen the first few minutes of, how was it? It was Snatch. No, was it? No, no, it was Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. I've not, but you have recommended it to me, so I need to watch so that. It is, it is a it is a fun 
you know, British crime movie, but the, the cinematography, I feel like in this, in this montage was kind of like reminiscent of the first few minutes of Lockstock. So there you go. Brad, what did you have to say about this scene? Man. So the, the fact that in quotes, these VHS tapes have mind control powers is the most absurd, great thing I could ever think about. And then I also have like catered into it when Mordecai shows up to find that they're watching these. He then opens up his trunk <laughs> to then have a bunch of class. I don't remember which movie he specifically had. He has three movies. Yeah. He has three movies. Obviously, Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah. Yentl. With Barbara Streisand. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and and so he he he's like grabs the other one, tosses it out of the way, and hands him this. He's like, "You go home, you go watch this, and you you, you take care of yourself, okay?" And then as he's driving off, the one thing that caught me is he's got the Jewish star as a cutout almost for where his back mirror is, and I could only just think, "God, how could you ever drive?" Because like it's it's literally imagine a normal windshield in the back of the car, but now imagine the only thing you can see through is this tiny Jewish star in the center. And you'd have to like it's it's insane when you look at it. When you, if you guys ever go check out the movie for listeners, like it it's just the most absurd thing you'll see. There's a theme here. We'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets on the phone with the chief of the JJL and says, "We need to flood the market with movies with positive Jewish protagonists." And so. The chief just lists off the movies he had in his trunk. Fiddler, Yentl, Heimpotox, The Chosen. (laughs) He's like, yeah, 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 that'll be fine. And I just gotta say, they sing Silent Night in this scene. Silent Night fucking sucks. Of all the Christmas songs, Silent Night is the fucking worst. If you're gonna do that, give me the chorus of the bells. Come on. It's a good one. Give Give it something with some stank on it. Or any of those, like, old crooner tunes sung by Jewish men. Yeah. So, <laughs> listeners, if you weren't aware, almost all of the tunes that you associate with Christmas were written by Jews. Hey, there's good money in it. Look, ladies gotta eat. Indeed. So, they find out that Santa is making an appearance at the Midtown Kmart. And... Either of you ever been to Midtown? I think so. It's been a while, though. It's extremely Jewish. I thought that was one of the upper uh, sides. I mean, Upper West Side is also extremely Jewish, but like Midtown isn't very far from the Upper West Side. But Kmart is very that makes Goy-ish. a lot of sense now. Like on the joke of why he's picking that location, then yeah. So yeah, so so Kmart is exceptionally Goyish. So they have to go in disguise. They have to go undercover <laughs> as Goyim. Yes. But before we see that, they show these guys who are like the bouncers of Santa's pad, whatever. This oh, little girl comes yes. up and they're so creepy. I'm like, these <laughs> men should be in jail or at very least not around children. Awful. Yeah, death. I remember specifically because I saw this scene and, and, and the guy who's playing it, who I, I looked up later, was Alex Coronado. And I was like, why do I know this guy? Why do I know this guy who's this awkward, sleazy bouncer? He plays Butch and, quote, Solomon Grundy in the late 2016 series Gotham. (laughs) And that's where I recognized him from. Move along, please. It's bad. It's bad. Anyway, we're moving on. (laughs) They do 
these crazy disguises that include a blonde wig for Mordecai. He has an American flag. I think a shirt that says, like, I heart Jesus. Or maybe it's a hat that says that. So, yeah, to be clear, nobody in the universe will look at Adam Goldberg and go, nah, that's a goy. So he does need a disguise. Judy Greer, not so much. Judy Greer could pass for a goy. Goya. But, they both kind of disguise themselves as Christians, like, one of them's wearing an Ichthys hat and, and, and like, a blonde wig and, like, still look pretty fucking Jewish, but, like, with a stupid wig and a very stupid hat. The first obstacle they encounter to their disguise is someone offering bacon cheeseburgers. And I was like, man, I want a bacon cheeseburger now. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, so so the hammer is, like, all right, so you have to blend in. The, the thing about undercover work is... It's important that you blend. So then this lady offers them a bacon cheeseburger sample. And he's like, no, thank you, fellow goy. I think he says American. Does he say American? Eh. No, he, he, he says something about like being not Jewish, maybe Christian. Yeah. I don't know. But he's like, I've had many meat and dairy products together and I couldn't eat another bite. Just like, mm. nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the line's crazy. They push their way to the front. The bouncers won't let them in. He starts trying to like quote Bible verses, and it's very funny because if you know how Parshot are noted in the Torah, Bible verses don't match up easily the way they are noted. That is true. So hmm. the names of the books are different, first off, but also like the. The Torah is broken into 52 parshot, and so, and each one has a name. So that's sort of how we navigate the Torah. It's a little different in the, uh, in the rest, in the Nevi'im and the Ketuvim, but. Anyway, Judy Greer does something that makes them get a little. Very horny. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, okay. So, okay. No, no. So much bad sex stuff here. Move past. Move past. Keep going. Keep going. So Andy Dick's talking with a child, very clearly doing anti-Semitic propaganda to him. And he's like, okay, get out of here. Then snort some cocaine. I said, is Andy Dick even acting at this point? (laughs) It's just being his insane insane self. They break in. They drop the disguise to be like, I got you. Andy Dick sends his like two lady helpers to like seduce the hammer. And he's kind of falling for it. Meanwhile, Andy Dick's trying to put the moves on uh, Judy and it's Greer. Like, there's a lot of horny energy in this room right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. I don't like Joe Rogan. Just want to say that. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> That's a good start. <laughs> he does have a joke that I think is apropos here. Jerk off first, then think about it. <laughs> this scene needed to be jerked off and then like have a jerk, have a wank. Come back to this scene and rewrite it. Because fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. This was weird. Also, there's one joke that super does not land. Where he goes, I like my women like I like my bread. Unleavened. And it's like, that's (laughs) so inaccurate for Jewish women. Yeah, I think that's a fake tits thing. Is is what uh, what he's getting at there. Oh, okay. That is an observation that does not come directly from me, but from another 
Jewish analysis of this. Actually, I, th- I have the line written. It was, I like my women like I like my matzah unleavened, <laughs> which is yeah. even more um, down the hill. Leavened matzah is just bread. Bread. Mm-hmm. So they're like trying to extract Santa to do what they do. And he's like, he's going to cancel Christmas. And it's like, I unironically want to cancel Christmas. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> God, so fucking much. This is, this is right before they he sends the children army after them. Oh. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> the intercom. Attention shoppers, there are Jews in aisle two. <laughs> yeah, and the next scene cuts to like, you see literally the kids marching through. One's got like a wiffle ball bat that he's just like in hand ready to like yeah. beat him up. <laughs> Can't see what I'm doing, I guess, but it's like the motion of like having a bat in hand. <laughs> And they somehow they somehow managed to escape with the underground Jewish railroad. Oh my god, this railroad was this amazing. Was, this joke was in pretty bad taste, in my opinion, of all. Yeah, of these. but it, what it what it is is uh, as it goes through, it's it's just a Disneyland ride. It's a Disneyland ride that they put in to of like Jewish move suffering them along their way. It's yeah. the Epcot Ball ride, but for Jewish suffering, mm-hmm. and then. At the end, no, the the actual punchline of that entire joke was at the end when they came up out of the like out of the basement and was like, "Ah, that got annoying really quick." It's like, yeah, no, it did. Yeah, that was bad. But now let's take a fucking break from doing anything plot related. A fucking break is an excellent way to put this. Indeed, you know, any good story, you gotta have a little romance. I don't know if this could be called romance, but that's what I'm calling it now. Sure. (sighs) More jokes, whatever. I do want to say one thing. They're like about to get into it. And she goes, I think I feel something. And he pulls out a shofar and I go, what is he doing with a shofar and Kislev? (laughs) Which Kislev is the month that Hanukkah takes place in on the Hebrew calendar. It is the month after the High Holidays ends, which is the primary place that you use a shofar. Point being, it was an insert dick joke. And I appreciate it. I thought it was actually a pretty funny way to to do it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, how many dick-shaped things are there in Jewish culture, really? Most of our stuff is ball-shaped, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) We don't need to, like, really get into this. But we see afterwards... Adam Goldberg, the Hebrew hammer, is shirtless, and he, he's covered in tattoos. And I read something that they didn't fix this mistake. Like, as an Orthodox person, the hammer would not have had tattoos. But they didn't fix... Oh, no, no, no. Because they couldn't fix this, really, like, they didn't fix the tattoos in post, they didn't fix another mistake later. And I'll get to that when we come there. Ooh, I'm excited. It's kind of minor, but it's interesting. Yeah, so they up bone, and it's real weird and gross, kind of as gross as a sex scene with Judy Greer could be. I, I like that it was uh, only like captivated by like the constant Jewish stereotype scenario that she then like brings up through. I I, I could talk about it or not talk no, about no, it. No, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's all stereotypes. I don't want to bring up more than we have to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Plus, it's giving away jokes. Fair enough, fair enough. And half of those jokes are only really applicable to Haredi people anyway, so it doesn't matter. We also get the, like, she's all that reveal that Judy Greer was doing this because of a deal. 
Yeah, I didn't like that. I didn't like that that's like, I get that it was set up that way. And I know that's what they were going to do with it. But I was, even when it happened, I was like, this is, this hurts to just watch and have it like play out this way. It feels dumb. Yeah. Although I will say Mordechai has a reaction to this news that is perhaps overstated, but also I think probably not unreasonable. His reaction, of course, being, oh my God, my mother's my pimp. <laughs> <laughs> that's a little much yeah but yeah your mother did get you late which is weird but also happens a lot in the jewish community <laughs> it's not unheard of no. so they make their way back to the jjl the chief is always eating this is i love this about him <laughs> he's always eating we get a recording from santa though that reveals his plan it's very convoluted. It's an eccentric villain plot. I love it. And also, he uses, to describe the timeline of this, he uses the phrase, Christian hours. And that's one of the few things I have taken from this movie. <laughs> it's important for the quality of, of why that's funny to come through. To point out that Jews use a different calendar than Christians do. We count time differently. and. Yeah, so the idea here is that the atomic clock that keeps the Jewish calendar, which we've been using for almost 6,000 years, the Jewish calendar is powered by an atomic clock, which itself is powered by an element that does not exist outside of the Jewish clock. So they're going to steal the power cell. Yeah, they, they called it Judaeum. Judaeum. Yeah. The tangible material is what I had listed in my notes. <laughs> the dumbest <laughs> MacGuffin. Anyway, they end the recording, but the they sorry they quote unquote end the recording, but it keeps going because no one bothered to actually shut it off. And so you see them like bickering and being self conscious, and kind of you kind of get the sense that they're maybe in a relationship. They being Santa and Tiny Tim, they're stripping each other. It's cool. Yeah, which hate to hate to make a villain gay coded, but is there any other way that Andy Dick can be? No, like that's just his that's just his energy. Like anytime you get Andy Dick for your film, like that character is already gay coded, right? Still not great, but uh, whatever. Do what you gotta do. So they go to Israel, which is where the clock is that they need to protect. The car rental place is Hertz, but it's sorry, Hertz. Hertz. <laughs> Hurts. <laughs> and there's a joke about how Hebrew is a very <laughs> e language. And, you know, this is not an original observation. Lewis Black was doing this in the 90s. It wasn't really all that funny then. It's not really funny. It's mostly just gross now. Yeah. They call phlegm on each other. Jesus yeah. Christ. And then, like, mm. he gets a motorcycle. And quick question for you guys, she said, knowing the answer. You guys have been to Jerusalem, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the southern part of Israel probably looks a lot like that, but not Jerusalem. Nope. No. So they drive through what is clearly 20 minutes outside of Phoenix to <laughs> <laughs> to the outskirts of Jerusalem where this uh, where this atomic clock is being kept. They also had another joke that I thought was in extremely poor taste. Oh, I missed it. It was a billboard. It said, coming soon. Oh, God. Oh, no, yeah. Mm. And it's, it's a West Bank joke. And it's mm. it just, 
even in 2003, that would have been bad. But now in 2021, yikes. (laughs) Anyway, Santa and Tiny Tim like burst into this place and they they're really in. They have such interesting dialogue together. They do like they are clearly a dysfunctional couple. And if you look at it through that lens, their entire thing is way less interesting, but also makes way more sense. Mm hmm. This gave me some Austin Powers vibes as they're, like, doing a shootout. Yeah, so the sun goes down on Friday, and this causes our our uh, Yid friends to go into a coma. <laughs> I, I The jokes in this movie are, are so insane. Like, they, they go so over the top with them, and I think it's very... Like, that was the only time I think in this movie I went... Really? Just just gonna you're gonna lay down. You're done. <laughs> you can't do anything. Yeah, I mean it's been a while since I've been Okay. <laughs> so there there's a bit in the Talmud about, you know, damages if you break something while you're rushing home to make sure you're home for Shabbat. So like, if anything, it goes the opposite way, but that's not as funny. But the Judaeum is not stolen because the KLF have arrived. Yeah, they have just here to save the day. And yeah, so roll credits. Oh, wait. Santa took Esther. My one gripe also with this entire scene, and I don't know why it was personally a gripe to me, but I was like, where's the IDF? This is supposed to be (laughs) the Jewish clock, literally the existence of our time. And the Israeli Defense Force is not there to defend it. (laughs) Well, knowing... Now, what we know now about the IDF, I have to imagine they're running security for that gated community that's being built. Ooh. Yeah. But we're back in 2003, which is actually means we're back in the 70s. So, <laughs> where are they? <laughs> yeah, back, back when the IDF wasn't the worst. Oh, now we're on a rescue mission. Mm-hmm. Mission Impossible insert. So, here is the other thing they got wrong that they didn't feel the need to correct is that mordecai prays with tefillin but it's on the wrong arm you're supposed to put it on your non-dominant arm maybe he's left-handed no it's shown like in other parts of the movie that he is right-handed like how he does stuff it's a weird thing anyway he uses it as like a grappling hook which is funny oh my god the grappling scene i i love we get a thing with binoculars here and they're stars of David. And earlier we had a thing at the KLF where the binoculars were in the shape of Africa. And it's like, oh, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. I love I love the grappling hook scene because it's it's so clearly classic, old school. We're going to crawl across the floor, but we're going to turn the camera 90 degrees so we're looking at the wall. And that's them climbing as they're just like scooting on the floor, <laughs> climbing their way up. And it's obvious. It is the most obvious classic spy movie trick i've seen and it's amazing practical effects fucking i love it i love everything about it smitten oh uh he's also wearing his talus around his head like a rambo bandana i didn't even notice that (laughs) goyim a talus is a prayer shawl they set off an alarm so now people are after them Raheem goes after Tiny Tim, and it's very funny. He's like, I didn't kill you because we're both Sagittarius. But now I'm going to do what I should have. And he doesn't kill him. He just takes his crutch. 
<laughs> so it is mm. anyway there's a lot of stereotypes crammed into this scene but the short version is that Damien and Mordecai have their final showdown and it's looking for a moment like Damien has the upper hand but then he uses the most powerful weapon in Judaism. Jewish guilt. <laughs> Hell yeah. You guys have Jewish mothers. I do not. Please talk about this at length. You want to start? I don't. <laughs> I guess I don't want to start. <laughs> I know for a fact that Kyle's mother listens to the podcast. So Yeah, that's a big reason why. No, but... <laughs> So I'll, you know, we'll keep this tame and simple and it's, I, it's not that bad. My mother's great. And I've never had any, like, I never had anything to the extreme of what this movie does on any caliber, but the, the concept of Jewish guilt is kind of like reverse psychology in a simple sense. It is literally constantly bombarding them with your concerns and problems to make the other side feel so bad that they will then accommodate for you in any possible way and so what they do in this movie is he just guys stops and I, i'm trying to remember the lines that he said though but he was like it's like you don't the, you don't bring out food for your guests you don't accommodate esther well even though she's your captive what's the floor yeah yeah so he, he does the full yeah he's like you didn't treat this person right in every way he's like come on you're better than this you're santa you're supposed to be the godforsaken best uh being in the in the christian you know lineup and you're not treating this person right what's wrong with you you should be better than this <laughs> you, you didn't have any food for us when we got here what do you you not have enough money to, to provide for your food it's just like it's this whole layer of just bombardment and uh you see you see damien just like crushing himself be like i'm just so sorry i didn't mean it here take my gun take my gun please i can't and then he's like and that's and that's it <laughs> he's got the gun <laughs> oh my god it's it is yeah i literally have in, in my sets uh jewish guilt for the win as the final attack which which is insane this one scene was the only time in this whole movie i think i found something that was in like a deep subconscious meaning by the way which is if you notice all of our heroes are wearing like solid black like completely oh. sleek black and actually all of the Damien stuff is is in pure white and that's a complete reverse play on what the reality is because white standing usually in the sense for like light good and angels versus demons and dark which is black is completely reversed here because our heroes are the ones all in black who are fighting off against this so-called good thing that is actually trying to like end an entire culture's religion uh, holiday so I found that to be very interesting, and I didn't catch that. I don't know if it actually meant to be that, or if they were just choosing to do something, but well, that's what I, mean, I took from it. I always say that, like, authorial intent is, at best, irrelevant. I'm not sure I would go so far as to say the author is dead, but what they meant by it and what you took from it are both perfectly valid. So, yeah. Hey, you defended it, so it's reasonable. Yeah. He saves Esther, and guess who else was kidnapped? New York Mayor Ed Koch. <laughs> sure. Okay. Why not? Anyway, they're like, Santa, the reason you lost is because you don't understand the true meaning of Hanukkah. And they're like, well, what is the true meaning of Hanukkah? And they kind of fumble around, and it's very funny. Because the true meaning of Hanukkah 
gets a little muddled when when you compare it to Christmas, which has a little bit more defined true meaning, at least in the popular media. The true meaning of Hanukkah is going absolutely feral on your Christian friends and refusing <laughs> to put up with any of their fucking bullshit. Just for eight solid days, you get to be a 24-carat shit to all of your Christian friends and just like refuse to deal with the onslaught of goddamn Christian music. Fucking everything is green and red for some reason. None of that. You don't deal with it. You light your candles, eat your latkes, play with your dreidel, eat some chocolate. Fuck it. None of that. Anyway. Yeah. So, so that's the actual end of the movie. Sort of. Then there's a short epilogue. They're back at his mom's house for another Shabbat dinner. Are they engaged or married? They're engaged. They're engaged. So he does okay. He does pop the question to Judy, the woman he's slept with once and has known for like three days. At the end of this harrowing experience, this relationship will go great, I'm sure. And it's movie shit. Yeah, whatever. movie shit. So, yeah, so so this is, this is his fiancée. And he's having dinner, Shabbat dinner at his mother's house. And his presumably stepfather is this old Chinese man. I thought that was just a dude. No, no, that that's 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 mom's that's mom's husband. Oh, okay. Anyway, now she's saying like saving Hanukkah isn't that big a deal. They're making Yeah, she goes, It's not even a high holiday. <laughs> oh my god, and she had made such a big deal before. Now if you had saved Rosh Hashanah ridiculous we find out jamal became the new santa once damien was put away and he goes happy jew year and i said happy jew year is what i say at rosh hashanah there you go roll credits roll motherfucking credits so analysis who wants to go first i do i do i do okay go for it (laughs) this movie has very strong themes of jewish pride and anti-assimilation hell yeah This is saying, hey, I know the world's real Christian and wants everyone else to be real Christian with them. But no, stay Jewish. Take pride in your Judaism. I didn't write this down, but it occurred to me that the Hebrew hammer himself is a kind of golem. That's true. That's true. I believe your first pop culture pop out was about uh, Jacob. What's his name? Jacob Geller had an analysis of the Golem of Prague, and I mentioned that I'm also toying around with the concept of a piece about how all superheroes in the modern conception are the spiritual successor of the Golem of Prague. The short of it is that the Golem, in particular the Golem of Prague, was a creation that protected the Jewish community and in certain cases went to some extreme lengths to protect the Jewish community. And that is what the Hebrew hammer is for the people of the hood. He protects them. He looks after their well-being. And in the worst case scenario, the JJL has to call on this force that can go farther, cross lines that they themselves cannot in order to protect what is important to the community. The difference being, instead of erasing the Aleph... They just kind of, like, onboard him permanently. Oh, yeah. They do. I think the last thing I had is that this movie, as, like, a sort of B-plot, 
discusses the importance of solidarity with the black community. And the Jewish community and black community have drifted apart in some ways. But in the days of yore, whatever you want to call it, the 60s, blacks and Jews worked together very closely to help each other. One particularly famous example is that Albert Einstein, famed Jewish scientist, was staunchly anti-racist and did a lot of, like, social justice work. Made a big thing about doing lectures, I believe they were for free, at historically black colleges and universities. Just real stand-up guy. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, there is a lot to be said about, you know, Ethiopia had a large Jewish community, which is mostly been evacuated to Israel. And in the latest flare-up of violence in uh, Ethiopia, concerns continue to arise about the Jews still there, who are black. Like, the the majority of the Ethiopian Jewry is, is black. But making sure that they get out of that war zone and, and are taken to Israel has become a an issue of the times. Yeah, and I think it's an important reminder that... The enemy is white supremacy. Yes, fight yeah. against white supremacy. Brad or Sophia, did either one of you feel particularly strong about going next? Brad, you're our guest. Uh, you have anything for us? Sure. I mean, mine mine was pretty general-sensed. My notes to take away from this was... This movie's fucking wild, first off. That is, just <laughs> the, that is the top-line, single-note, if you had to put it in one-word sentence, that's it. But it's a great, you know, coming from a Jewish culture background, like the slapstick, like Jewish culture lingo comedy is a great play to it. I'm amazed I haven't seen this movie till this point. Like it was definitely something that I feel like I probably would have watched like in my family line growing up. But I'm very happy nowadays that I got to and it almost had like reminiscent factors, weirdly enough, like not good ones sometimes, but like enough that you can connect through to them. I also quoted again, like this movie in, in my mind is similar to the way of like Blazing Saddles. You could not make this movie today. It just can't happen, but I'm appreciative that it exists the way it is and how it is. And also as you guys, or as you mentioned before, you know, it's about harmony between alternative religions and uh, to give mad respects to that Santa the second who was just all about, you know, balance and equality between all of them and appreciating each one as they've existed and as they are now coexisting all together. I mean, that's the whole point that we strive for is just acceptance and community. So yeah, that's kind of like my takeaways on the analysis. So I had two things that I really wanted to talk about. And the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm thinking they're kind of related. So there's a point in the beginning, we, we kind of talked a little bit about where Mordechai helps out Shlomo and, and like, his parting words are stay Jewish. And it occurs to me that, you know, when you take that in conjunction with the scene where all these Jewish kids are taken in by a bootleg copy of it's a wonderful life, that the joke here is that there is an anxiety that Jewish people in America are largely assimilating into our Christian normative culture in America, or America's largely Christian normative culture. And that through doing that, it's like a three-step process into losing your Judaism, a, a sentiment 
I agree with. I think, you know, the, the, there is an anxiety about losing your Jewishness and, you know, especially so people who are born into a religion are often not as, it gets kind of old for them. People who like, they're like when I, when I converted, there was the, you know, people were telling me like, oh, the converts keep us honest. Uh, And like, we shouldn't though. (laughs) That shouldn't be our job. But it is, it, it like, I say that to point out that like people who are born into a religion often uh, at, to a greater extent have an easier time falling away from it. So that's sort of like where this anxiety kind of comes from in addition to the fact that our community is aging and you know there's not enough people being born to kind of replace that loss. So the community is at some point in the next 10, 20, 30 years going to shrink pretty pretty massively. That anxiety is I think kind of like understood but not often mentioned or named in, in the Jewish community and this movie does a good job of like poking at that anxiety which that's fun so the other thing that I wanted to kind of focus in on is the Magen David thing so you mentioned Brad that that the hammers back windshield is a star of David and that's like the only the only thing that you can see out of or, or the only they're like the only space you can see out of in his, his back windshield is this Magen David shapes hole. Mm-hmm. And then in the last sequence, as they're breaking into the factory to rescue Esther, Hammer's binoculars have a, a Star of David. The lenses are Star of David shaped. Silhouette. Yeah. Cut out. Aperture. Cut out. So what I took away from this was that there is a, an intentional focus on seeing things through a Jewish lens. As well as like you see this with the uh, the uh, KDL KLF KLF the KLF their peephole is in the shape of Africa or their binoculars are in the shape of Africa so it, it's kind of like showing that that you know these disparate groups see things in disparate ways and, and through their own specific lens which can be restricting from the wider picture which is again in America largely Christian. So I don't like I think with the windshield, you can make the analytical point that that's dangerous. I don't really see any huge harm. And it's more annoying with the binoculars, but the windshield is actually dangerous. So I'm I'm wondering if there is a point there to be made that that the filmmakers were were saying, like, yes, viewing things strictly through a Jewish lens is dangerous. With that one in particular, I'm inclined to say that was just a like set design choice or I guess a prop design choice, kind of like hearkening back to the black exploitation roots that this was built on. Mm-hmm. But that is, as we said, interpretation. How, how it hits you. Yeah. <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean like I think I think it's a fun movie and I'm willing to write that off. And also like I don't necessarily agree. Like I think, you know, being able to view things through multiple lenses is important, but also I don't think that having a primary focus through which you view the world is necessarily a bad thing. It's inescapable. Like, yeah, right. You're going to have one thing that's like the main way you see the world. Even if you don't think you do, it's whatever the like dominant culture is. And I got to tell you, having not been born into viewing things with a Jewish lens, but looking through things that way now, it's just, it's a better lens. <laughs> <laughs> 
Apart from analysis, Brad, did you have any thoughts you wanted to share that you have not already? Uh, I think I'm actually pretty good. Okay. <laughs> I think I hit all my points. So the Hebrew Hammer is an awesome dude. There's a reason I chose my <laughs> online name to be a reference to that. This movie fucking rules. <laughs> yeah, this movie's awesome. <laughs> so we talked a little about like exploitation movies that this harkens back to a little bit, which were, I don't really know that much about it. Two of the big popular genres of it were sexploitation and blaxploitation, mm-hmm. which were just like these very, I guess you could call it heightened reality. Yeah, so it could be seen as a form of social satire in saying that, you know, it's it's long been a fact of advertising that sex sells. And so, okay, well, we want to make a movie that sells. So let's sex that shit up sexy. Yeah. One other thing I thought, though, is I've been involved in a lot of Jewish organizations. And depending on who you talk to, some people will be very concerned about how Jews are portrayed in media. And they don't really like it when stereotypes are brought up. So I'm like, oh, goodness, this movie, if you're not Jewish, this is probably not good for you to watch this without like a Jewish friend with you. (laughs) Yeah, do not take your views on who we as Jews are from this movie. But, I mean, as we said up top, this was clearly for Jews by Jews. Mm -hmm. It's a satire play on itself. That's my piece. Sophia, did you have any final thoughts before we get into ratings? No, I just want to reiterate this movie. It's it's not the best movie, but it might be my favorite movie. It's not a good movie, but it is the best movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's not the movie i i knew i needed but it's the one i'm glad i have ratings let's Woo! do some ratings so brad on a scale of one to ten with one being bad ten being amazing where do you put this i have two rating sets one for as a comedy and one for as a general movie my comedy rating is this is a nine out of ten almost every joke hit me perfectly and I had a great time. As a movie, about a 5 out of 10. <laughs> no goddamn sense. And I'm not going to give it the credit to pass by. The 5 was the safest number it hit. <laughs> yeah. Kyle? This is just on my enjoyability. It's a fucking 8 out of 10. It's amazing. <laughs> so I will give it a... I will, I will echo a 9 out of 10. I will say that from a film criticism standpoint... I think this is a little bit deeper than it at first appears, but I mean, we talked about the, the, you know, satire of the black exploitation and the exploitation film. So because it is a skewering of that through the, the lens of, of ridiculous Jewish stereotypes, I'm willing to say like, okay, so like on a, at a film crit level, I'll give it a six and a half, seven. All right. And now on obscurity with one being a, Best Picture nominee and 10 being a literal student film. Where would you put this, Brad? I think I'm going to give it probably a good six and a half. Like, it's it's up there. I, I mean, I, I'm like the target audience for this movie, and I hadn't seen it to this point. But at the same point, the you know, the actors that are in it definitely shine some light to being around it. I was going to put it around a five and a half. As I mentioned, I have a Hebrew hammer which is based on Hebrew Hammer, is a name I use in a lot of online places. And a lot of people will be like, oh, that's a sick username. So, like, people have heard of it. 
How many have seen it? Eh, who's to say? But like, the name is out there. Mm-hmm. Kyle, I literally had to steal this film. <laughs> Eight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I mean, no, we would never steal media. That's not a thing. We happen to find it and watch it. It fell off the back of a truck. What do you want from me? That's true. It's a good truck. It comes by often. As we wrap up our episode, we go into pop culture pop-outs, a thing we've just been interested in as of late, and we want to talk about it. Brad, you are our guest. What do you got? Okay, so I've got this YouTube channel called Cinema Therapy. It is a channel that is made up of two people who is a professional therapist and a professional movie designer who sit down and discuss the going through therapy of characters and scenes and motions through different films. It's been growing rapidly, but at the same point is such a treat. I highly recommend checking them out because you can really find, there's almost like they, they branch out enough between movies that you can probably find one that you've watched like, and then you can see a synopsis of how they go about it. Nice. Sophia. So mine is actually an HBO show called raised by wolves. I, and It's essentially the earth is destroyed in a religious war and these two androids are sent off to build a colony on a nearby star's planet. And the androids are kind of like one of them is a repurposed war machine that is, you know, redesigned so that she can nurture children and, you know, Relevant to my interest, seeing a war machine try to be a nurturing parent. Yeah, so it, it, it's extremely good. And, you know, it's watching a, a, an android become human is just never not going to get a standing ovation from me. So I highly recommend that one. Kyle, what do you got? Recently, I've been watching the second season of the Animaniacs reboot on Hulu. Animaniacs is fun. If you don't know what it is, just check it out. And like, I, I can't imagine anyone who's listening to this just has like never heard of Animaniacs, but like Brad and I have heard of it and we're like the young side of our audience. It's fun, silly bullshit that I love. Yeah. And I love the voice actors. They're very good. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, it's surprisingly woke. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Brad, where can people find you online? So I'm on mostly two locations. You can go to twitch.tv slash Arkham Shinobi. I do streaming for games and art. And I'm also on YouTube. I do music covers with an instrument called the Ocarina, which is a small winded instrument. And that is YouTube and just search Ocarina Hero. No space. No space. Keep keep it no space because for some reason, uh, YouTube's algorithm loves to be fickle about anything. (laughs) Yeah. Brad recently hit affiliate on Twitch, and we're all very proud of him. Yay! Thank you, thank you. Sophia, how about you? So, I now have a link tree in the description with all of my bullshit on it, but the big hits are, you can find me on, always on Twitter, always on Twitter, at Hamilcarinina, H-A-M-I-L-C-A-R-E-N-I-N-A. Screen name is now Zippy's Absolutely Feral Hanukkah Arc. So, yeah, next year it's going to be Thotka. But anyway, yeah, so I'm on Quora, Sophia Helena Maestatricht, YouTube at the same, Medium at the same. I do 
media analysis project called Queering House on Quora and Medium. I'm not on hiatus, but I'm in a difficult, I'm in a bit of a transition right now. So I haven't had a whole lot of time to sit down and write, but soon I'll be back into it. I'm on Instagram at Sophia H underscore MDT. Don't find me on Facebook. Yeah, my, my Facebook link in there is just meatspin.com. I thought it was just a broken link. Oh, was it? Eh. I meant to send it to meatspin.com. Awful. <laughs> anyway, Kyle, where can people find you? I am on Twitter at Kyle the Giggles. I am on Tumblr and Letterboxd under Hebrew Hammer. I also made a link tree, so it's a lot easier to search through that. Also, before we wrap up, I want to give an extra special thanks to Brad for not only being an amazing guest, but for creating our wonderful cover art. If you would like, there is a link at the bottom of our show notes where you can leave a voice message to appear in an upcoming episode, whether to discuss the episode or an episode past or leave your own pop culture pop out. But in order to talk about the episode, what movie are we doing next time, Sophia? Operator. Operator. This uh, this is off-brand her. It's great. I'm excited. Anyway, hit subscribe. Tell your friends. It's a good time. Hey. 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 Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.